Welcome to the Brody Sattva Podcast. I'm Enoch Daniel. Like a lot of men of a certain age, my good friend Sosh and I felt a sense of dissatisfaction. We're settled and successful, but we also have our struggles and personal demons. For the past couple of years, we've been on a journey to become better men. By that, I mean better husbands, better fathers, better human beings, just better at this thing called life. And now we've decided to share that journey with you and invite you along for the ride. We'll be speaking with each other, as well as others, with wisdom to share, and hopefully some of you. We're here to ask the important questions, such as, how can we be better men and still tell dick jokes? And what can a couple of bros learn about the path to enlightenment anyway? Let's find out and become better together. Get jacked on mindfulness, philosophy, mental health, and connection, starting right now. Today on the Brody Sattva podcast, we are so pleased to present a conversation with Blake Kimsey. Blake is an author and an entrepreneur. He's been published in multiple outlets. He's been broadcast on NPR, performed on stage in Los Angeles. He's published in Tin House, McSweeney's, Vice, Longform, D Magazine, The Dallas Morning News. I could go on and on. He's also the founder and director of Writing Workshops Dallas and Writing Workshops Paris. Writing Workshops Dallas is actually where I met Blake. He was my writing instructor before he was my friend. If anyone's read my writing, please don't blame Blake. He did the best he could. He's also a husband and a father and just a fascinating guy. He has a lot to teach us about living a life of creativity, and having the bravery to follow your dreams. He's a man who found his North Star and built his life around chasing that. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation. I have the distinct pleasure of already knowing you. Sosh doesn't know you and neither do our listeners at home. So why don't you just uh, start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, I know you, Enoch, from uh, being a writer in the community, and um, I also am am a writer, uh, fiction writer turned accidental entrepreneur, and um, so that's pretty much what I've been up to um, for like the last 15 years, is trying to sort myself out as both a fiction writer and trying to work my way out of the cube farm, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have these twin creative passions, which is um, you know, writing and then also <laughs> trying to run a business so we can keep the lights on, you know, that's, that's kind of mm-hmm. what, that's kind of what defines me, I think right now. Yeah, sure. And you did not, if I, I don't remember all the details of your story, but you didn't come but to writing immediately in your adult path. Like tell, tell us a little bit how you came, how you started on this journey. Cause it is an interesting story. Well, so, you know, I'm a native Texan and um, I went to Texas A&M University. I, I wasn't one of those guys who went to Texas A&M knowing a whole lot about the traditions, but it's an agricultural mechanical school. And, you know, I, I just was never, you know, in my house, literature was like Sports Illustrated growing up. I'm from a small town in North Texas, 1200 people, blinking light. And when I got to school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I just was like, well, I guess I'll be a business guy. I'll be a business major. But when I was at A&M, I just happened upon this um, science fiction past and present class. 
And I was like, well, that looks kind of fun. So I took that and I'd never read anything like outside of the high school canon, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, I was just kind of dazzled with these science fiction and fantasy stories, which I would have never sought out on my own. And from there, I took, you know, a a Russian literature class, all things that were like kind of in service of my minor Mm -hmm. uh, at A&M. And, um, you know, long story short, I just kind of was working at an engineering firm, you know, four years after I graduated from college. And I started taking night classes uh, in creative writing at a local community college. And that really set me on the path that I'm, that I'm on now. I just kind of, you know, eventually, you know, I took the same class three semesters in a row at Brookhaven, started writing stories, quit my job at the engineering firm, started working at the Olive Garden, which you can do when you have, you know, no kids and just newly married and stuff. So I could really just focus on writing. And um, that's kind of been my North Star ever since is just kind of living a life in service of creativity, you know, whether or not that's working at the Olive Garden or, you know, going back to the engineering firm, which I did after graduate school. I will definitely say that my journey has been informed by you know, this idea that tomorrow is never promised. So that's kind of Hmm. my also uh, guiding light there. Hmm. Tomorrow's never promised. So do, do what you want to do and and follow your dream. Is that, is that sort of the idea? Yeah. You know, my mom, she died when I was 10. So she left behind um, myself and three brothers. And so I kind of had this early understanding of she died of breast cancer. So I just, I just never Hmm. could kind of fit into the matrix, I guess, because I kind of had seen, I guess I'd seen it at a young age, you know, where I don't know if my innocence was pricked at that, at that young age, but, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, about a year after my wife and I got married, my best friend was killed in Iraq by an IED mm-hmm. in, uh, uh, November of 2007. And my wife is an artist. Um, you know, she got her MFA from the university of Iowa. She's a brilliant artist and she was mm-hmm. teaching high school art here in Dallas at that time. But after Pete was killed um, in Baghdad, we were, and she also lost her mom when she was 20 to breast cancer. So we were like, what are we doing? I'm withering away in the cube farm, you know, like, and we were married for six years before we had kids in 2012. So we said, let's just go for this. Let's either, you know, you go to graduate school, you apply, if you don't get in, then we'll travel the world. And like, you know, cause we'd already been bicycle tour guides in Paris for, for a year, you know, out of college. So we were just like, this is, this That's is so not... fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we just had this, we had this terrible education of losing our mothers. And so I really feel like that has, has really made us live a life that's not really concerned with, you know, possessions. I mean, for example, candidly, you know, we live in a 800 square foot house. We have three kids, which means in mm-hmm. one room, we've got, you know, two bunk beds, you know, two two mm-hmm. kids in one bunk bed, one in the other. And so our kids are eight, six, and three and a half. So mm-hmm. we've always lived pretty close to the bone. You know, we've always kind of just, you know, kind of hoped that we could sell a painting or that, you know, that we could have enough money, but, but we're not, you know, my car is, I got it in 2006. And so we've just tried to figure out a way to engineer our life and our spending habits around our passions and kind of, um, spending our time with our kids, you know, um, and just kind of orienting our life around those things that we're most passionate about, you know, that's, uh, just incredibly brave. Like I, I even hearing that story, like even without kids newly married, I'm just really impressed with that sort of juke and shift you did early in your career where you said, you know what? I hate this job. 
and I really like this writing thing. I'm just going to go do it. Let's just give it a shot. Well, and you know, what's interesting about that is, is I am still an unknown emerging writer. So it's not like, it's not like 15 years ago, I made this bet and it paid off to be a writer. I mean, you could Google me and find some obscure short stories, but I'm still kind of on that path trying to, to make it, you know, as a writer to have like mm-hmm. a book on the shelf at Barnes and Noble, which I don't have yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I just realized that when I left the engineering firm, you know, I'd leave the engineering firm at five and reanimate at 7 p.m. in this workshop. And I was like, wow, this this feels different. I really like and, and it wasn't just the fiction. It was it was being around other creative people who, mm-hmm. who had questions about life that they were trying to work out on the page. And I just felt something stir inside of me with being around people who had this intellectual curiosity. Um, you know, brilliant people who may not, you know, I mean, I met so many brilliant people working at the Olive Garden, you know, sure. um, it, it's kind of funny because, uh, you know, after I quit my job and went to the Olive Garden, I know my wife's family thought that she had married a total loser, <laughs> right? Like this guy's slinging breadsticks, like, you know, you get married and then all of a sudden, you know, your, your husband's working at the Olive Garden at, you know, goes to work at the Olive Garden at 27. So, you know, it just, but, but you know what, it, I think happiness is what, is what you should seek. And um, that's yeah. kind of how we kind of tried to engineer our life. So, so she um, did her M- M- MFA at the university of Iowa and then you, you went to UC Irvine. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so I went to UC Irvine and it was really great. I mean, I went to Iowa city, we moved to Iowa city, you know, about, I guess I'd been taking these creative writing classes for a year and a half for two years. And then I go to Iowa and, you know, I was just working at the Olive Garden and I was getting to hang out with all these painters at night, you know, mm-hmm. um, no offense to anybody who is a Mormon, but I definitely looked like a Mormon missionary when I would leave the Olive Garden in my black pants and white shirt. And then I would show up at the bar looking, you know, kind of like a, a Mormon missionary. <laughs> have you heard the good um, word? <laughs> yeah, because have you, you know, have you heard the good word? Um and uh, it was just, you know, though I romanticize those days so much because I would, I would be dreaming about stories in the side station at Olive Garden. And then I'd go meet my wife, you know, afterwards at this, at these great bars where, you know, Raymond Carver or Kurt Vonnegut, you know. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, you she know, may had, not know, because it's not like outside of writing circles is not really well known that University of Iowa has an amazing writing program. You know, giants of literature have gone through there. I can imagine soaking in those creative, that creative soup was uh, fairly satisfying. Yeah. And I, I mean, I didn't go to Iowa. I just kind of sure. had the fringe benefit of all the yeah. readings that came through at the, at the, but yeah, yeah. It, it was great. I, I loved every second of it. And it was funny because my wife was on a graduate TA ship and I, I made enough money at the Olive Garden each month, but we, we didn't, we, we, I would just keep my money in my copy of uh, the great Gatsby. So I just had like, you know, at any given moment, like $1,200 in the great Gatsby. And that was kind of like our money where we paid our rent and we got our groceries. And it was just such a simple life. You know, we had good health care, health insurance through the university. So it, it was certainly, you know, a really fun adventure. And so how, how soon after she finished her, uh, her MFA, did you then go to UC Irvine? Well, I was, I was applying for graduate school, her final year of grad school. So kind of, you know, she got, she graduated in the, in the, in the spring and then we kind of picked up stakes and, mm-hmm. um, and moved to California. So we kind of stacked them together mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. started having kids whenever I was in graduate school. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, 
living in like a little one bedroom, you know, and and what's amazing about it is, you know, we live in a little one bedroom in Irvine, you know, we still wanted to have the grad school parties. And so people would come over and our kids have always been able to sleep through crazy noise. Uh, This is just like a little thin grad, grad student door. And they would just, you know, my daughter would be in there snoozing and we'd have people over for drinks or whatever. Yeah. And again, just another, you know, we had everything we needed. There was nothing. And, and, you know, my wife, she grew up homeopathic. So we, um, she, we, you know, we, we had a home birth in that graduate student housing in a little awesome. kiddie pool. Awesome. So there, I always like to think that there's some graduate student living in that, that unit who has no idea that a baby was born in that room, you know, They're probably feeling that energy, you know, they're yeah, that good energy. <laughs> yeah. That puts you on a new level of weird Blake. That's yeah. good. Good to know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think back to when my oldest was born in the crummy little house we were renting in Memphis and, you know, we, she wasn't born in the house. We went to the hospital, but, it, but, you know, she was, had her infancy in that house and we were, you know, three doors down from a train track. And on the other side of that train track was a neighborhood that I would have driven on a flat to get out of, oh, yeah. you know, and, and that train ran all night long and she can sleep through anything, you know, um, it is an interesting perspective that I think a lot of us forget as we get older and our income stream gets higher and our bills get higher is that you weren't any less happy when you were young and broke, you know, like it's all these accoutrements don't necessarily uh, uh, bring with them any significant joy. I I believe that I believe this saying you're looking for there, Enoch is uh, mo money, mo problems. (laughs) You may be right. Yeah, thanks for taking right. it. Take, thanks for taking it to the street, Sush. Oh yeah. And uh, with that, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. My <that's laughs> <Mike great>. drop. <laughs> so and uh, I I don't know I I could because I want to live a life that is more creative. You know, you see, I'm I'm doing we're doing this podcast. I write. I've been I've actually I picked my novel up off the shelf that I've been resting. You can't see my air quotes at home, but I've been resting yeah. for about a year. Um, and I've been working on some short fiction. I actually I recently got a piece that got uh, accepted into a little online magazine. I'm so excited for you. I saw that. I saw that on Twitter. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it was exciting. But, you know, I have sort of a long term plan to get myself to a financially stable situation to where then I can, can then sort of pursue some creative dreams, I, I guess, with the assumption that tomorrow will come. <laughs> Um, and I just, I just really, I have a lot of respect for your bravery and your, and you and your wife together just saying, Hey, this is the life we want to build. And let's like, this is going to be our North star and running with it. I think that's awesome. We, we kind of joke that we want our kids though, to play with spreadsheets and to be, you know, <laughs> financially stable and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, here, go, go, go figure out how to do cells and Excel, you know, like yeah. figure out all the formulas. Watch, um, watch some CNN money or something. Go, go. <laughs> seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Here's rich dad, poor dad. Tell us what it says. <laughs> if you can explain this to daddy, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Can you, uh, can you write a report, a little book report for daddy? <laughs> it's interesting how Enoch, you keep saying, you know, you think it's very brave of, of them. And I'm actually looking at it from the, I envy the obvious, um, the want and desire by both him and his wife 
it seems like this is this was natural for you. It doesn't seem like you know it was a. And it didn't occur to you and I, Enoch, to ever try and and ditch this. You know, I mean, just to just dive off into to the arts, mm-hmm. even though you know we're both way drawn to it. We've both done some really creative stuff, and I mean that you 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 could tell that really fires us up. I mean, when, when we're when we're around a bunch of artistic people and you know hash and philosophy and all that stuff i mean it it gets the juices flowing but uh, i guess i can really only speak for myself it never really occurred to me hey yeah you should actually do this and force yourself to start writing every night and go you know i mean it's almost like nah i mean that'd be great if i had that in me but that's just really not me so i i guess what i'm what i hear is it's just awesome that you you had the wherewithal to, to, to realize this is, you know, what would make you happy and to find somebody who backs that dream. So like, especially coming from somebody who didn't even read any sci-fi until, you know, you're in college and stuff. I mean, were there any precursors to that, that now you can look back on, you know, the way you grew up other than like, obviously your, your mother dying at such an early age that kind of fed into that sort of uh, mentality or, or, or mindset that you have? Well, we lived out in the country. And so we spent all of, I mean, I always think my imagination was intact. And I think obviously you have to have an active imagination and you just have to be intellectually curious about the world. And I definitely, you know, running around out in the woods, you know, we had, we could shoot a gun 300 degrees around our house. We had four wheelers. We, um, you know, we had machetes and we would go hunting snakes. And I mean, we kind of lived like one of, I mean, my childhood, even though my mother died, um, you know, I just am so close to my brothers and we really lived a life of adventure and my mm-hmm. dad encouraged that. And, you know, he was all, you know, he was always there for us. And, and I think he encouraged our, um, you know, I, I mean, now that I'm a dad thinking about back at it, you know, my dad was 40 when my mom died my mom wasn't yet 39 wow. and I'm going to be 40 in June, um, in June. And just thinking about what he had to go through with, with four boys and stuff. And so I kind of, you know, you kind of mesh all that together, your imagination and, and then that, that loss and then the support, this, you know, I come from a very supportive uh, family. My dad, you know, he, he's, he's, he's always supported my desire to write. He never was like, why are you, why are you working at the Olive Garden? He was just like, well, I guess you just need to make an, you need to wait enough tables to make your rent, <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> you know, that, don't come here looking for the rent. But um, yeah. so, yeah, I think, I think just being engaged with the outside world and, and kind of asking questions. And I think over time, not being scared to not know the answer, which, you know, having taught in college, you know, so I think now I mean, I, I'm really encouraged by like millennials and younger generation, but there is a strain where we've, we've so focused the STEM that like in a creative arts class or a creative writing class at the university level, being okay with not knowing what happens or the end in sight, you know, learning that Stephen King doesn't write with an outline. I mean, you know, now that I, I run a business, you know, it's like, you don't really know what, what's going to happen. And you're just trying to do enough activity to draw enough people in and hopefully what you're offering provides enough value, but there's no promise each month that you're going to make a certain amount of money, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully you make enough to, to meet your bills and stuff. But I think fiction, it, 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 you know, being an entrepreneur and being a fiction writer, it calls upon the same creative impulses, you know, creative problem solving, hmm. you know, at the story level or, um, and even, you know, running a business, for example, I mean, 
trying to not be a marketer to writers, but to kind of say, hey, you're the hero of your own story. Let us be the guide. And that makes sense to me as a writer. So mm-hmm. braiding all of these things together, I think kind of has helped me take that leap both as a writer and as like a business owner. And yeah, and I want to get to your business here in just a minute, but I did want to go back to something so touched on just a hair and and you, you we've talked a little bit about was I I think part of the beauty of your journey is that you had a partner who was also bought into a similar journey. And it was it was almost like you guys were really meant for each other. And I'm curious like how how sort of that went down when I assume she was, she was teaching art at the time when you were working in the cubicle farm and then, you know, how did it work? You know, did you have a conversation, a series of conversations? Did you just like come home one day and, and with your olive garden uniform and say, here's what's happening. Like, <laughs> you write your number upside down. It was like, <laughs> you bet you like that, huh? How you like these, right. a- how you like these apples? How do you like these apples? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know what? It was just such an ongoing conversation because um, we carpooled to work in the morning. I would drop her off at um, the school where she taught. Mm-hmm. And then I would drive on to the engineering firm where I worked. And so mm-hmm. we just got to have a conversation every day and in the afternoon. And, um, you know, we just have always loved being together, but mm-hmm. you know, we, we were definitely going to make this leap. I mean, she was ready to go to graduate school. She was ready to take that leap. And, you know, she's, she sells her work. You know, she's like one of these, she's, she's got, she's in a show right now in New York. Um, it's online because of COVID, but I mean, she's just mm. always been somebody who's been super talented. And so she just knew that she wanted to take that next step. Um, and actually she was encouraging me. I mean, she's the one who's always encouraged me as a writer. And, and, and I don't think I would actually be a writer, honestly, if she hadn't encouraged me and because there's so many people out there I could not be married to because I'm just not the kind of you know I'm not like a crazy amazing financial provider I never have been I'm hoping to be that but she doesn't you know measure me by that you know she gets really proud of me when I finish a story or you know there's all these other things I think she looks at now of course I need to be a good provider and that's like what gets me out of the bed in the morning but so, you know, we, we were having those conversations ongoing and um, in the morning as we carpooled to work, we were always listening for, you know, KERA here in Dallas would always say mm-hmm. the name of the troop if the, if the troop was killed and they were like a North Texas native. And we were at a stoplight and they said, Pete, you know, Second Lieutenant Pete Burks, you know, was killed in Iraq. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, here. And so then that was just like that fall and then that spring and then we just decided to kind of go, you know, all in. And then the next fall, you know, we were living in Iowa city. God, you heard it on the radio like that. Well, I mean, he had, he, he'd actually been you know, killed, you know, three weeks prior to that. So, so you we knew were, it wasn't like news, but it was, you know, right. sort of hammered at home as you're together going to your jobs and wow. Yeah. To hear that name. Yeah. So, and actually what was interesting about that is about four days after he was killed, I got a, I got a, a letter in the mail from president Bush um, which apparently they notify. So I was one of the people that, you know, Pete wanted to have notified. And so I got a, um, uh-huh. you know, a, a personal letter from, from president George W. Bush, who I despise. Right. Right. <laughs> and, you know, what was interesting about that is, you know, um, maybe four, four weeks after Pete was killed, the, the last care package I sent to him, my wife and I sent to him came back and we'd made this little cartoon. Uh-huh. So it was just interesting to get Bush's letter and then a few huh. weeks later, get that final thing that we'd sent to Pete sent back that had this kind of. So now I have Bush's letter to me framed next to that final little comic panel we sent Pete 
you know, that was never delivered to him. So, wow. Tell me about how you, uh, what the genesis of writing workshops, Dallas. And I've heard you speak a lot about writers and about forming a community and how important that is for writers. And I mean, you, you sold me. I, I think it's 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 brilliant, and I think it's a nice goal. But also, it is a is a business. You know, it's it's how you're you know paying the mortgage and 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 keeping the kids fed as well. So tell me tell me sort of about how that started and and where that came from. Well, after graduate school, we moved back to Texas and I got another job at a multinational engineering firm, but I was also teaching creative writing to undergraduates and graduate students at night at mm -hmm. UT Dallas. So, mm -hmm. our, you know, our second kid was born and, you know, like I just was not seeing either of my kids, you know, it was like six years before we moved back, we made this big decision to like, let's just pursue our passions. Let's be together all the time. Yeah. And we get back and I'm working like, 65 70 hours a week at the engineering firm wow teaching on tuesday and thursday nights till about 9 45 p.m at ut dallas and then coming home and then on the weekends prepping for class reading stories dude you were hustling uh, yeah man i was and we were doing this in service to to buy a house <laughs> and so we decided yeah, how much what? writing were you getting done during that period <laughs> zero yeah, zero you know and i was like I was trying to get my agent and all this other stuff and trying to get on the launch pad. But so people started reaching out to me on Twitter to see if they could audit my classes at UT Dallas. And of course the administration said no. So uh -huh. out of that, I kind of thought about this for two years before I started writing workshops, Dallas. And I'd heard this other podcast in 2015 where I was sulking about being back in Dallas. You know, we, we'd left Southern California where I sent like, I felt like there was a sense of possibility. All of the creative energy was pointed in the right direction hmm. um, or in the same direction rather. And then we were back in Dallas and I was just sulking about not being in Southern California. And then this podcast said this author, I wish I could remember who it was. She's, she said, you know, you have to love where you live. And if something is missing where you live, you need to create that thing. And so I plugged myself huh. into the community here instead of being like a snob and being like, well, this isn't LA or New York. I sought it out, realized there was an opportunity after mm. all these people were kind of tweeting about it. And then I started writing workshops Dallas and we had our first class here in East Dallas, in March of 2017. Did you do it your house? Uh, at a little, uh, yeah, no, at a little co-working space here in East Dallas called The Mix. Uh huh. And, you know, from that first class of eight writers, you know, now we've had over 4,000 writers take our classes. We had to pivot during the pandemic. So we're all online, writingworkshops.com starting April 1st of 2020. And just today I had people register from classes for, for classes from Singapore, South Korea, Australia, and Boulder, Colorado. So that's amazing. That that's cool. Yeah. So it's grown when it first started, you know, for the first two years, I saw every student because I was at the building. I, I, I had the one key that would get us into the co-working space because I was like, didn't have that much money to buy a bunch of keys, you know, <laughs> memberships. So I literally saw every student for two years. Yeah. And, you know, now, I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm basically the, you know, executive director or glorified administrator of this organization I created and, and I love it. It's great. But I mean, I don't, you know, Enoch, you remember going up to, um, you know, Mockingbird Station and, and yeah. being let into that really hot room that one summer. Yeah, right. Yeah. The AC up. didn't really work. And yeah, I had nobody cared. Nobody fans. cared. We freaking loved it. We were all all about it. It was so oh, great. So fun. Yeah. And yeah, 
So then, you know, I quit my job, stopped teaching it. You, you know, gradually, you know, you just, the side hustle becomes the central thing and you, that's another leap you have to make mm -hmm. where it's like, am I gonna, you know, quit my engineering job? Am I going to leave UT Dallas? You know? Mm -hmm. um, but I think all these other little leaps I'd taken in the past prepared me for those things. And, you know, we've always, we don't have very far to fall. I mean, like we don't, our, our mortgage is not very much. I mean, we don't, mm -hmm. if we, if we go on a vacation, we drive there. <laughs> right. I mean, so there's, it's like a leap. Yes. But I mean, there's not, it's not like, you know, my, my brother is a really successful salesperson and if he saw our bank account each month, he would probably freak out, you know, <laughs> start hyperventilating. <laughs> yeah. He'd be like, wow. You, it, but, but that's, you know, for us, it's like, we're operating within our, our comfort zone, you know? Yeah. And have I you, have I you know, read any of the uh, interesting online uh, personalities espousing frugality as sort of a cure to the, to the modern ailments? I, I found a book in the library randomly called Meet the Frugal Woods, which then led me down this rabbit hole. And I read the book and, and looked into the blog uh, of the Frugal Woods, as well as another guy named Mr. Money Mustache. And, oh, yeah. No, Mr. Money Mustache. I'm familiar with him, his, yeah. uh, his blog. Mm -hmm. And then their, their whole idea is, you know, like we can live on so much less money than we're convinced that we can live on. And that is the key to financial freedom. We have this idea that we, we have to keep making more money so that we can buy more stuff. And if you get off of that hamster wheel, um, you can live a full, wonderful life on a, on, with, you know, with a bank account that it may make people nervous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, wild, well, it's a wild thing too, because I mean, it's, it's a basic tenet of all, all business. You know, I was getting to my MBA, they were like, um, you know, you have to make what was it, like $8 to, or whatever, to cover every dollar you spend. So actually the easiest way for companies to make money is to cut their spending, you know, especially if they're getting a cash flow pinch. They're like, yeah, you just stop spending. It's because it's a lot <laughs> harder to make money than it is to spend it. So, yeah. But oh, as, wow. as individuals, we're just like, oh, well, got to make Man, some more money. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I don't There's know. The old, the old joke about the, uh, the old joke about the doctor who was told that he, he was losing money with every patient that he saw. And he said, well, by God, we've got to see more patients. <laughs> <laughs> What are you working on now, Blake? What are you writing? Well, I uh, I started a novel in Ju in uh, July during the pandemic, mm -hmm. and then out of nowhere, I mean, as as these things tend to happen, if you put enough out there, I, I was contacted by since I wrote a screenplay in the it you know that got some notice in the spring right before the right before the pandemic, I had a you know, some meetings with the guys who executive produced The Irishman and Lone Survivor. Wow. And um, those didn't lead anywhere because uh, I didn't know how to pitch on the phone. It was hilarious. They called, you know, I got an email from these guys who saw my screenplay on the blacklist. Yeah. And they're like, hey, can you talk? And I was like, when? And they, he was like, in five minutes. So then all of a sudden I had this guy who making a movie with Al Pacino at that moment. And I was on the phone and he wanted me to pitch. And I pitched. That makes me want to crap my pants, that story. <laughs> yeah, it was very, I mean, I couldn't believe it, but I mean, I still had ketchup on my cheek because I just made burgers for my family. <laughs> and this guy was right out of Central Casting, this executive producer um, who's made so many movies. I mean, um, but anyway, I just completely shit the bed on the pitch because I'd never pitched before. I mean, I think about, oh, you sure. know, 
I know how to talk about story, right? Yeah. But pitching a movie is a whole different thing. So I bet we had three phone calls and it ended up going kind of nowhere. Um, maybe it was because of the pandemic, but then in October out of nowhere, I got another connection with this, um, this producer who's worked with John Krasinski and Jordan Peele uh-huh. and um, Sam Raimi and, and done all this, you know, got like wow. a billion I've, dollars. I've got a huge, it. I have a huge boner right now. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, can you say those names again? Cause that was really cool. Yeah, no. And so, you know, now I, I'm, you know, so he's like, Hey, let, so he read like some of my stories and, and then he was just like, Hey, let's just, I want you to just start pitching me anything, any ideas that you have. So, I pitched him 15 things and um, you know, it was the 15th thing I pitched him that he wanted to develop. So we wow. developed that starting, I guess, starting in uh, December. And I just sent him the first draft last Monday. So now wow. I'm waiting to see, to hear back, but you know, my, my whole career has been just failure because um, which is okay. That's, that's what writing is. I mean, my, my first novel, I got a big literary agent. I got a big um, Hollywood agent, you know, four years ago. We sent my book out. It did not sell. I thought I was on the launch pad. And then, you know, I haven't written another novel since because I've fo- been focusing on this business because mm-hmm. that's what feeds my family and, and it's growing and it's, it's, I'm starting to see, you know, the rewards of it. But, but then, you know, you get, I wrote a screenplay and it's just like, it, it, I've never been discouraged by rejection or failure because I just think that's just part of, I, I, I feel like I heard, I heard this, this thing that like the, you know, a master has failed more times than an amateur has ever tried. Mm, I like that. And that resonates with me. So we'll see what happens with this current thing I'm working on. I, I really like it. We'll see what he thinks. Um, um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so I'm working on that. And then if he doesn't like it, if he ghosts me, um, mm. like my literary agent did after my book didn't sell, then I'll just <laughs> I'll go back to this novel that I started in Ju- in July that I that I really like. So you just keep working on the next thing, and sometimes they hit, sometimes they don't. Exciting, and, Blake. Uh, That's really so, awesome. So when it, when is somebody gonna make? Uh, I, I mean, I, was, I just saw The Witcher. You know, I don't know. I guess it's, God, it's probably only been like a year or two ago. When is somebody gonna do uh, Salvatore and and uh, Salvatore and, and Drist? Huh? When's somebody gonna do the Underdark? When are they going to do that? Is anybody going to do that? I mean, somebody has to do that, right? That's like one would think. I mean, because this, I, mean, I, I know the three of us, and this is without even talking to Blake. I, I just know him already, and we're like, we are like, you <laughs> well, know, I was I mean, the fifth. I was the fifth brother that they didn't talk. He doesn't talk about now. So, um, <laughs> well, Blake, Blake took the very typical path of starting reading sci-fi and immediately jumping to to Russian literature. Well, I mean, yeah, as everyone yeah. does, as everyone does, and the color yeah. yellow, I'm sure, just just goes throughout <laughs> all of his stories now. But yeah. I just, oh, all of us read that in the '90s, and we were like, "Ah, oh, this is the greatest, you know, this is cool. This is awesome." Actually, I wonder, you know, with the story of the Drow and 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 Driz's story, if if there may be because the Drow are the only in that world, the only black race and they're just incredibly evil <laughs> yeah you're right you're might right. have some political overtones that can't, don't fly with a certain large portion of our population can't do it now ever since wakanda can't do that shit anymore no wakanda was awesome Wakanda forever baby I've, i know blake i was i want to go back to something you were saying and i've heard you talk about this before and that the successful writer is the one who keeps writing 
And and you talk about yeah. your ability to fail and keep going. And I I just want to dig into that a little bit. What is it I other than the idea that like well that's just what you do? Like what is what allows you to do that? What is it was was it a skill set you learned? Do you think there's something inherent? Do you think there's a certain philosophy you have? What is it that allows you to keep keep going? Well, I think I mean and this this is the most frustrating and there's there's two answers. The first one is the most frustrating. It's like I just like story, so I keep kind of being drawn to it. Hmm. Um, and most writers love story. And I, I've got a lot of talented friends who don't send their work out and they don't write the next thing and stuff. But for me, I mean, it's, I can't understand why I, I want to have a book on the shelf. I can't understand why I would love to have a show on Netflix or a movie mm-hmm. where you see written by, nobody cares who writes these things, but like that to me is just something, I mean, I just think that would be the coolest thing is to be like a working writer. I think that you know, now when I was been sending all these pitches to like a, you know, like a real decision maker, who's got a billion dollars in box office to his name. Mm-hmm. Like that's awesome. And then having these, you know, conversations that are sometimes, you know, they're every week with him just talking about story. And he's like, you know what you should do? You should go read Fair Extent or you should have Parallax View with Warren Beatty and, or you should, you know, things I haven't read or watched before. And I, I think if I could be, if so I could wait, have a like, career wait, wait, where I was always in conversation so the hot shit executive producer guy is just like like bullshit and books and movies with you yeah yeah just and i have a whole list of things like go read this go check this out god um, you're so hot right now oh man that's yeah. awesome double double, double. Well, I, you just went yeah, like, like you I just say, like went from like sort of you you like a, a transform some sort of schlumpy middle-aged dad to like just hot shit sex god right there in front of right. my eyes people at home you can't see this but it's it's sexy uh, well it's yeah. it's so I'll, funny I'll because up, it's it's like you know uh, a life and story would be really would be really fun and i i feel like you know when i left the engineering firm for the first time back in 2007 it's like i realized you're gonna have to climb a ladder no matter what you do you know that's clear to me it's like you're gonna have to just kind of take your lumps you know you're gonna have to mm-hmm. you know prove to your middle manager that you should be the, you know, get the promotion or whatever. So I feel like there's just the same gatekeepers in, 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 you know, the literary arts and and film and TV, but what's really exciting about film and TV is that there's just so many, they just need content really. So exploded with the, with the content into it's, it's just been wild. They need shows. They need movies. I mean, it's crazy. And, you know, like, like I say, I sent in my first draft last Monday and, and, you know, I could have an email when I get off of this, a podcast and they could be like, mm, this doesn't work. See ya, you know, yeah. but it's, sure. but it, but I think if you just keep taking, you know, your swings, you're going to, I've learned that like, there are so many gatekeepers. So there, the opportunities for you are really endless. If you just keep writing, if you keep doing your thing, if you keep, you know, I think there's just so many people out there. I mean, I've talked to two people in, you know, Hollywood in the last, you know, 12 months, which I had never, that was, you know, I never thought that would happen. One, the conversation didn't go anywhere with the first guy. And then with this one, you know, maybe something will happen, maybe something won't, but, it, but it lets me know that like, okay, you can, you can get in the game, you can have some conversations and you mm-hmm. just have to find the person who wants to champion your voice and your work. And that's, I think what, what makes rejection not sting for me is I realized that my work's not for everybody you know, mm-hmm. in the same way that like, I will not finish a movie. And, and I think everything is subjective. 
So that makes it less personal. If everything was objective, then man, mm-hmm. I'd really have my feelings hurt. Because yeah. my short stories yeah. have been rejected like over 650 times. Rejection is just ubiquitous. I have so- to share, I got, I got just today an email, personal rejection that was incredibly kind. And I just made my heart sing. Like, as they told me that they did not want my story, they said it in such a nice way. Congratulations, Ian. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was thinking about something you said just then. And I, I you introduced me to this concept with the writing workshops and with your, you know, you, you do these mixers and get togethers and readings and let, let's just hang out that I, I realized that I didn't know about myself is that as much as I would love to see my name on that book on the bookshelf, I also just love the idea of being part of that club. Like that group of people, I want that to be my tribe, those creative people who are tossing around ideas and talking about interesting things and spend their, you know, their hours writing and talking about writing. I think that's just wonderful. Well, Frank McCourt didn't publish Angela's Ashes. I think he was 65. Toni Morrison didn't start writing till she was 41. Um, Annie Proulx didn't publish her first novel till she was 55. I mean, Mm. it's not like you age out of the game. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just a matter of getting in the game because, I mean, I think about it in terms of, you know, playing basketball with my dad, who's going to be 69 this summer. And we haven't played basketball in over a year, (laughs) but now he just posts up in the corner and hits threes. I mean, the guy is just like really an amazing <laughs> shooter. But I've always thought like basket. I like I love basketball because I know I can play it into my sixties or seventies. You know, it's like or skiing. Like you always see those old guys who are mm-hmm. skiing. You're like, wow, this dude's freaking. This guy's not going to break a hip. You know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like writing is the same thing. Like it's it's a long game. But mm-hmm. if you keep delaying, you know, because it's like it's not a young person's game or an old person's game. It's just a game for people who keep engaging with yeah. the work that they want to see in the world. When it's, it's like you said too, it's a long game. And if you spend all, instead of spending all those years waiting until you reach the right age that you can, you can every, all the stars align and you can do it. If you spend those years writing your, your skill, you're going to build up those skills. You're going to, you're going to work those muscles and you'll be ready when, when the lightning strikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this yeah. also kind of ties back into the <clears throat> overall theme of, of all these podcasts. And that's just, you know, 10% less shitty um, <laughs> is that we, we don't, it is intimidating to look inside and it is intimidating to start the journey of, uh, you know, self-love and we're worth this work and all this, you know, I love hearing these common themes with all these different people and that's just who who are you doing this for what why are you such you know why are you a good man what makes you the good man i do this to to provide for my family i do this in service of others i do this in service of the art there's always this huge service thing that you get this great fulfillment and the reason to get out of bed and it seems like the other one too is yeah um screw up a lot do it quick and keep on trucking <laughs> and uh it's, yeah. I, I don't know I, I wonder if you know you know we keep doing this enoch and uh uh 10 years from now you know we'll just be uh screwing up even quicker than we do now yeah i think i there is a i am taken by that philosophy of not being afraid of failure and it's it's an idea that is fairly new to me and i didn't realize was an idea because i think i was raised 
And I grew up with a very ingrained idea that, that like one of my biggest fears sort of at the base sort of lizard part of my brain is don't look foolish in front of people. <laughs> like make don't, sure you flies don't up. screw up like make sure that everybody you know everybody thinks you've got it all together and things are working out just like you planned them to and it's hard to be a creative or to be an entrepreneur or do any of those things with that mindset you have to put some of that down in order to go down that path oh yeah i mean the second you commit to something publicly people are going to say why are you the person to do that or this isn't good or why, you know, I mean, there's just so many ways. And I will say the most terrifying thing I've done is, you know, we have this summer workshop in Paris, France, you know, we plan this every, I was so worried because, you know, like we get to Paris and there's 18 writers who are meeting us there from kind of all over the world who applied for writing workshops, Paris. And we'd plan this whole thing, but like we'd, rented the hotel, we planned all the events, we'd gotten the workshop space all sight unseen. And we just, you hope that when everyone gets there and you're the organizer and that everything goes according to plan. And it's just like that, that could have, I mean, I had dreams like, like stress dreams over that, like getting to Paris and like leaving. Why are you the one in charge? I should be in charge. I'm a writer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But just like, like getting these people over there, it was just like, it was, but it turned out to be amazing because it, my drama teacher growing up, you know, she said to, uh, to fail, to prepare is to prepare to fail. So I think all of these things, I mean, I love these little pithy little sayings, like yeah, the one you said earlier, Enoch, um, Richard Bosch, a, a quote is like, you know, professional writer is an amateur who didn't give up. So mm-hmm. those little things that, you know, that seem so trite actually really speak to me because they're true. And I allow them to be true instead of trite, you know? Yeah. yeah. That, that is a nice. huge Say that again. Thing. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Huge. Oh, I just allow these little pithy trite things. I just allow them to be true instead of trite, you know? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's, uh, that's been a, that's been a huge thing. I think uh, not just for me, but for a lot of, uh, a lot of people on a uh, certain uh, road to recovery, um, they they all they throw these little bitty cliches at you, and uh, I think it allows a lot of people uh, from all walks of life to get easy mental handholds and footholds to mm-hmm. climb back up out of the, the hole they find themselves in. And I think we can say that's you know kind of true for all of us at one time or another. Mm-hmm. You know, find ourselves in the in this hole. And, um, I love that they really did. Um, I love those cliche sayings cause they really are just super true. <laughs> when, I'm a when sucker. You, when, I know I, you no, buy into them and they're, you're like, yes, see, this is just God. God yeah. It was that easy. All I got to do is believe in this. Yeah. Right. So I, I love your idea of it is it's a handhold. It's a, it's a thing to hold on to, to get you to where you need to be. And right. that's what you're looking for. That's great. That's all I need, baby. Tell me, um, just to kind of, we have some questions we kind of wanted to get through. Tell me what, what really does get you out of bed in the morning? Well, I mean, it's, I, I think now, I mean, it, it's, I kind of have this idea of, of, I've never been 100% commission based in my earning since I went full in as an entrepreneur. Um, and so it's like, you have to leave the cave and what you drag back is what you eat, you know? Mm-hmm. So I really do feel the sense of, um, you know, my wife and I, we both work very late. I mean, she paints late. I work late. 
so we'll get out of bed, you know, when the kids obviously are on the weekends, we'll, we'll sleep in a little bit, but it's kind of like, it just gets you up. Cause you're like, I've, I mean, I'm kind of the kink in the hose in the sense that like I'm customer service. If someone has a question, I'm hmm. coordinating all the classes. I mean, like, it's just me. So you're if the I rate were, limiting step. Yeah. <laughs> the so so if, if, if I'm not minding the store, nobody is, you know, so mm -hmm. that does. And just the challenge. I mean, I really love iterating. I mean, if writing is revision, then, you know, running a business is certainly revision. It's revising, it's iterating. I mean, if I looked at the website in March of 2017, writingworkshopsdallas.com on Squarespace, I mean, it was a really tiny, hmm. you know, but now I'm, it's writing. I bought a premium domain, you know, writingworkshops.com last year, Wow. Like somehow right before the pandemic, you know, I didn't even know the pandemic was coming. I moved to a more e-commerce friendly website on Shopify mm -hmm. and just iterating and making, you know, the customer journey and making the classes more, you know, um, you know, I'm, I, I don't really teach that many classes. Not, I mean, I could, but I'm trying to get more, the most talented people to teach the classes, people who have books on the shelves or, you know, um, movie streaming or whatever. So, um, when just, I signed up, I said, I want this guy. This is the guy who's running this show. He knows what the fuck he's talking about. I'm yeah. signing up for his class. I'll take the one option, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like else will do. There's be one. a lot cooler like if you I'm did. stuck with this guy. But um, yeah, so yeah, just that the idea of iterating and making it better and bit, you know, maybe scaling. And I mean, all these words, you know, I kind of got like a DIY MBA over the last four years, listening to podcasts and reading books. And I really love that. It kind of speaks to my intellectual curiosity because I've always felt underread, undereducated, underlearned, you know? Huh. And so I just kind of, it's not like I'm special, like this intellectually curious person. I just feel these deficiencies um, that I need to kind of seek out and, and uh, learn about. So that kind of drives me as the feeling I've always kind of had a little chip on my shoulder and that's always been a driving thing, you know, like just being like, well, I guess I'm gonna have to figure this out, you know, hmm. like a little sense of inadequacy, which drives me, I think. Sounds like a Texan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Boom. Yeah, no, I, I get, I totally get that. I mean, uh, Sarah and I started a, a little business uh, last year that was just an abject failure, but it, it was, there was something really fun and, 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 and just kind of lit a fire in me about the learning how to do this thing. And that was probably worth the money that we lost in the business. That's sort of, uh, yeah, I like, what, what was your phrase? The, the, I thought it was like the, uh, the street MBA or the, uh, you know, the, oh, yeah, the, the DIY the, MBA, the yeah, DIY MBA. Yeah. As long as you walk away from it, just knowing the word pivot or a uh, high, <laughs> high scale, uh understanding of things uh, those yeah are, that's basically it just no pivot Crap. i gotta look those up now pivot from friends I, I was just like what what the, is everybody freaking just saying pivot all the time so yeah tell me um how do you uh how do you take care of yourself man you're a busy guy you've got three kids and a and a i'm not gonna say tiny you have a small house with three children how do you keep yourself sane Gosh, you know what? I mean, like this pandemic, especially like I go, I go in on like a walk every day, try and get 10,000 steps and listen to a podcast. And that mm -hmm. has been um, like, I love that. And, and, and like today, you know, I'm listening to how I built this with Guy Raz, who I love, you know, yes. and I'm listening. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. 
listening to WTF, I mean, listening to podcasts and, um, so, you know, sometimes I get anxiety listening to how I built this because I feel like, oh, I'm not doing it quick enough or I'm not, but it, those, that really feeds me. It, it kind of shows me kind of what I need to be doing, nice. but I just love, you know, because sometimes I am just really tired um, most days, but I can walk 10,000 steps. You know, mm-hmm. I can walk for an hour and 15 minutes and listen yeah. to a podcast. And that's what keeps me sane, honestly. It's nice to have that, to have that time, you know, do you, do you have to carve that out or is that sort of understood in your family? Like a, Hey dad, you know, Blake needs this time to, to get out and be by himself a little bit. Daddy needs his me yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's Danielle and I both, we kind of, we, we, but we baton it, you know, like I, I walk in the door for mine and then she goes on hers, you know, because nice. it is, yeah. I mean, she's with the kids all day and mm-hmm. I'm, I get to be at my little standing desk here working on this business and I couldn't do any of this stuff without her just being super supportive. And then she goes out and paints, you know, we have a, we, we have in a little old garage that we made into a painting studio for her about maybe four years ago. Nice. And uh, she goes out there and paints. And I mean, she, she's got a gallery here in Dallas. And so, yeah, she paints at night and we just, I feel like we just kind of burn the candle at both ends, but like for her, her, her exercise and mine is she runs, I walk. So I've gotten the, I'm, I'm working off the pandemic 15, <laughs> not gained any weight. So do you do anything, uh, do you anything like meditation or anything like that? Have you ever, have you ever gone down that path at all? I, okay. Here's the thing is, at the start of the pandemic, I got Calm, the app. Yeah. Calm. Yeah. Great app. Yeah. Uh-huh. Got it. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get into it. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Many paths, then, same destination. And, yeah. And then um, and then right before Thanksgiving, I got Noom. You know Noom? Yeah. Got Noom. And I couldn't do it. I, I just, it was like <laughs> tracking my water and my, um, you know, I got a scale. I'm weighing myself. And then I got someone, you know, from Noom texting me like, how's it going today? And I'm like, I can't do this with you, random person. You know, get off my fucking back. (laughs) I was like, I'll just keep doing my walk. I'll keep, you know, trying to, you know, not drink too much and just try Mm -hmm. and, you know, stay sane. Um, Yeah, I and I don't I mean, it's crazy. If you ask my wife, like when my head hits the pillow, like I go to sleep. So it's I hate you now. Yeah. Like up, up until now, we've been getting along. I was one of the brothers. She I don't does know what, too. I don't know what that is. And I just want that. Yeah, so I, live bad. With an, I live with an insomniac. I, I get it. Go to sleep. But I lay just, there. I meditate and no. So oh, what? Man. You're just leaving it out all out on the field every day. How huh, Blake? That's so awesome. Blake. <laughs> every bit, no, of, every bit of sweat drenched out of you to hit the pillow. You're a God to me. Oh no, no. I think I go, I think I go to bed so easily to turn the day off. I'm like, I've been a failure. Like I, (laughs) I'm like, golly, I'm, you know, some not, you know, well, it's so funny. Like, especially last week during the great freeze, like Mm -hmm. my, like my shut in level, my look, my, my shut in look was like off the charts. Like, you know, couldn't shower, was wearing a robe in the middle of a day, trying to stay warm in our house. I saw you. I was a little concerned about you after that Facebook video. Like I, I thought you were yeah. about to go all, all work and no play makes Blake a dull boy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So I was like, what do my kids think about me? Like seeing dad with like greasy, you know, hair. Local. And, and yeah. Looking like a shut in, you know, my kid, my, my three and a half year old should not know the term shut in. And as it relates to his father, <laughs> 
are you uh are you spiritual at all you any any religious leanings did you grow up in church anything like that yeah so grew up in church um you know we we're still we're members of like the methodist church here and Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so always, I mean, I, I just kind of, um, I look at outer space and this is going to sound dumb, but like, I just can't, I think about the multiverse or I think about outer space and how big and expansive it is. And I mean, I just don't know what the answer is. You know, it's like, I don't, mm. there's gotta be something, there's definitely something out there that's too big for me to understand, you know? Mm. And so I think, and also, you know, thinking about my mom who was very, you know, she was in the choir and stuff. I've always felt at peace with church and with you know just you know the 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 kind of um the peace that that kind of gives me and so sure um yeah so i would say definitely my wife and i are both you know christians and 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 take that we're trying to raise our kids to to be um tolerant and to to Mm -hmm. you know be active in social causes and you know to love their neighbor and all these things but also it's just something about going into like a Methodist church with, um, you know, stained glass and like hymns and stuff. It kind of lets me connect with maybe even commune with my mom and definitely my, my wife's mom was um, sort of very, feels like home, huh? Yeah. It feels like home. It's comfortable. And I mean, I feel like if my mom were still alive, I would, I would have a home, you know, like we don't, I mean, my, 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 my dad, I go out to his house, but it's not the house I grew up in, you know, that was sold years right. ago. Right. So that to me feels like a place where I can commune with her, and, um, you know, say, Hey, we're, you're, I'm still trying to do this life the way that you raised me, you know? Nice. So. All right. What about you move. guys? Um, go ahead. So you, well, uh, it's an interesting question. Um, so I was also raised Methodist. So, uh, yeah, heads up on that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. Uh, I always, I always felt like the Methodist word, build you a house before we start talking to you about Jesus. You're just Baptist who can read. Yeah. Well, I, the thing I don't like about Methodist now that I'm Episcopal is uh, the once a month grape juice, like charade instead of real stuff once a oh, week. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Get that I little. Had a, I had a Welch's problem for a long time. But say <laughs> you, you go Episcopal, man, they give you that stout. I mean, I don't, I don't know how they call that wine because it, burns like but <laughs> it's like bacardi 151 <laughs> damn jesus Woo! tastes good in the morning so i i would consider myself still uh i don't know i was i was raised christian and i have a western uh bent and view on the world but um as far as like the actual <laughs> i love there's there's a i, I talked to a, a muslim one time and he was like yeah it's a western idea of thinking about it but there's this whole thing of the sliver of a moon is like if Allah is the moon or God, you know, universe creator is then full moon. The most we could ever get an understanding of it is just that tiny sliver. And that's like, you know, the, the apex of human under, human understanding. Yeah, that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that's kind of the whole thing on it, but the love thy neighbor as a self to then also give, you know, that forces you then now to, for me to, to love myself, because if I'm not loving myself, you know, my neighbor's in a whole shitload of trouble. Yeah. So I'm, I, uh, I, I you like treat to commu- your neighbors like you treat yourself. I mean, I feel sorry for those fuckers. Right. <laughs> you break them. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of a Western bent, but I, I feel real connected to the, 
you know, the Eastern like meditation and, and just trying to be trying to pull instead of like, you know, how Westerns kind of like take these concrete ideas and, and force them onto the world is trying to look at the world and pull the, the, the hereafter, the metaphysical, try to pull that out that would, what's already around us. And so that's kind of my, what I'm working on from like this point on. So mm. Me, I'm as I'm as backslidden of a Southern Baptist as you'll meet. I uh, I grew up very very religious, very devout. You know, we were uh, every Sunday, every Wednesday, we were in church, and I was a I was a true believer. And I think it was when I in college I took a world's religions course, and I uh, learned about that there's this whole world out there outside of little town in East Texas where, you know, if I were born in Calcutta, I would believe this. If I were born in, you know, some Chinese Delta town, I would believe this. And all of those beliefs are just as valid as what I grew up on. And I just thought, God, this just feels like bullshit. And I I fell out of the church for a long time. I actually was taken with Taoism and I have, uh, and I still, and my life is still fairly informed by Taoist philosophy. And I read the Tao Te Ching regularly. Um, But, you know, I had kids and thought, you know, God, church did me some good growing up. We really need to get these kids in a church or something. Sarah's also Jewish, which raises that whole like sort of weird dichotomy thing there but we know we've we've tried we've done a lot we've done our best to fuck our kids up we've taken them to (laughs) all like we've taken them to multiple churches we've taken them to 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 temple we have taken them to buddhist temples we have done all these we've done a lot of church hopping didn't didn't you uh, drop them off at that one of those uh, cult that marries uh, like the fifteen year old girls to the old men? Yeah, but they sent them back. They sent them yeah, back. <laughs> I know. It's I was really I was really shocked, but you know, yeah, good, you on, know, good apparently on. they've got higher standards than you'd think. <laughs> um, but no, and then actually, right before the pandemic, we had just started going to the Unitarian Church in Dallas, and it was this beautiful light bulb thing, and I I. Sarah and I both were, were just struck with, oh my God, these are our people. Like, yeah. I want to be a part of this church. And then a month later, the goddamn world shuts down. Yeah. So, Unitarians, so are, Unitarians are like the NPR of religion. I mean, <laughs> dude, they are my you, people. They're so how great. Can, how can you not? Yeah. How can you not like them? And at yeah. the same time, what do they really stand for? It just seems like they're just really so soft-spoken. You know, and understanding I, I think there's something everything. to be said. I think there's something to be said to uh, we stand for you know, being nice to each other. Just be, and, let's just uh, be nice, and yeah. you know, don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. That's not a bad philosophy. <laughs> I also like philosophy. the fact that, I also like the fact that my oldest, like the second time she went there, said something along the lines of, "I really like the fact that they didn't tell me I was going to hell because I'm Jewish." Oh, that's yeah. a good start by the way that messed me up when i was a kid because we went to baptist church too but you're right like i went to thailand you know and you see these temples that are older you know and you're just you know so a lot of times i think i'm culturally you know christian in the sense of like well of course you know i was born in texas you know if i was born in chiang mai you know i would i would be different you know Mm -hmm. or, Mm -hmm. or anywhere else for that matter so um, I think it's just like, I'm, I'm just really okay. It kind of goes back to writing. I'm okay. Not knowing or putting a too fine a point on it because I'm just always, I'm very suspicious of certainty. Um, 
-hmm. and people who are like, no, this is definitely what this text meant that these people, you know, it's just like, I don't know. I, I, I think things change very quickly. I mean, I looked at that video today that was released about the Mars Rover where we heard sound on Mars, you know, well, it kind of, it was 26 seconds, cool. you know, and it was just amazing. It drilled a hole and it was like, wow. I mean, there, we definitely do not know yeah. so much. So no, I'm not going to no. be the first yeah. person to be super certain. Yeah, I know. I, and I, I love the mystery. I mean, I think that's what part of what makes the world so great. But uh, it's, as a friend of ours was telling us yesterday is like, I just, I'm never satisfied. And, and maybe that's part of my problem is <laughs> I'm always looking, I'm always yeah, looking, man. Yeah. What's, what's ha, maybe I can nail this down a little bit better. I, I am, I am very much uh, looking to be a cult of personality. I, I don't want to follow anymore. I just want to get to this, like build myself up and yeah. get the self-love going so much that I achieve what I know to be my ultimate goal to have a cult of personality around me. Yeah. I don't think that's what Buddha was talking about, man. Uh, you don't know. <laughs> we just got through talking about being certain of anything. And there you go again. All right. I'm going to rapid fire you a little bit, Blake, and then we'll, right. we'll, we'll let you go. I appreciate you giving us your time. Um, just let you know, Blake, I'm undefeated. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He Let's he go. doesn't get he he's not you're this is your show. <laughs> this Don't is even this, listen to him, Blake. Every time I'm gonna do it every time. So when did you first feel like a grown man? Oh wow. Well, when my wife told me she was pregnant for sure. Because before that it was like <laughs> I got I got my money in my my uh, copy of Great Gadsby. I mean that's 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 yeah. enough for two. You everything know? everything before that was a warm-up then it was like oh, oh shit, yeah it's real now <laughs> oh it was so and i remember you know we went into you know we were oh yeah that that was really real i mean we'd like i say we've been married for six years and then i remember going to the olive garden that day because we were still in iowa uh and i just was like i remember walking around like i was like i'm serving these people breadsticks and they have no idea that i'm like i was just so unprepared but that definitely yeah. made me like be like wow you know um i am gonna be a dad um yeah <laughs> That, that was a big moment because I was like, I guess I got to like, you know, get another book. Get my shit together. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think about that and I'm like, I think I'm fundamentally like still haven't figured anything out, you know, like, right. and that was back in 2011. So God, dude. Yeah. I feel that yeah. way all the fucking 2010. Yeah, I, I, I frequently I'll look at my house and my family and think like, when am I going to feel like a fucking grown up? Yeah, <laughs> That's what my dad tells me he's like, I, I do not feel 68. I feel 27. I, you know, I mean, it's like in my mind, I'm not sick. I'm not going to be 69, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I don't feel like it's everybody's faking. It. And that's the other thing about like imposter syndrome, um, you know, and um all that stuff is just like, everybody is really doesn't have it figured out. Um, they're just trying to like, hmm. you know, the process is the teacher and hopefully they put it in work today. So tomorrow they've got a little bit more figured out, but no, wait, wait a minute, uh, wait a minute. That's bullshit. That's why we invited you on the show because we thought you had it figured out. Like we don't have it figured out. Yeah. You need this to fire your booker, whoever your producer is. <laughs> I, want them gone. I want them gone. <laughs> You're fired. What does it mean to what does it mean to you to be a man? And has that answer changed over time? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think now I'm, my identity is so wrapped up in being a father and a husband that I think those are my kind of 
twin purposes is um, I, I think, you know, like after my mom died, I mean, certainly I had the support of my dad and my brothers, but mm. I had this distinct feeling of being siloed, of being on my own, of, of having to kind of figure it out. I mean, like I drove myself, I mean, this isn't a sob story, but I mean, it's like, you know, I took myself down to college, right? I was moving myself into the dorms while everyone's parents were around them. And, sure. you know, it's like, my dad just couldn't do it. He's got three other kids. It's like, yeah. so I just kind of always had this sense of like, I guess it's, I, I'm on my own, you know, hmm. even as I've always been supported very, very much. Um, and then once, you know, I got married to Danielle, it's like, I felt like a, a, a sigh of relief, like, oh, now I have a partner. And now I have somebody who I can like lay some of my you know, uh, and somebody who I can be like, you know, steady for, you know, and I feel that with my children is like, be steady, be, hmm. um, because it's like, people won't remember what you did for them. Really. They'll remember, um, how you made them feel. And so that is kind of what I think it means to be a man is, 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 um, because especially now it's like, there's so much, there's so many ways in which men are toxic and have taken advantage of, of women and other situations and it's like they like ultimately <clears throat> those people don't feel good never proven right? so no, yeah I, I i think that's wonderful i i also feel that that that's one of the beautiful things about being married and having children is it does it automatically gives you a sense of identity like that is that's that becomes part of who you are it, it's a very comforting thing to hang you know to hang your hat on you know, if nothing else, I am this. Yeah. That's a nice cliche yeah. statement. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. I like how you have to lean into the mic. To get I don't have to. I just feel like it gets, it gives Blake. Any second now, any second now, you're going to fillet that mic. I'm I, sure of this it. is, this will, this video will never make it online, right, bro? we'll see i do the editing oh, so. hope not. i've got my <laughs> pandemic hair that i've not cut if i show you what's behind the ears this Whoa. is the shut in <laughs> please put it back yeah please too put sexy. it behind the ears again it's too sexy <laughs> <No>. <laughs> please tell me tell us what makes you feel brave and what makes you feel vulnerable well, working at the engineering firm did not make me feel brave. Um, mm -hmm. And so definitely from like a professional standpoint, I think, you know, sending like sending like a completed story that I didn't uh, shrink in that moment of like having to show, show them what I could do, you know, running a business, you know, that makes me feel brave because I kind of feel like I'm walking on a wire every day. Mm -hmm. um, and then, I mean, those are just professional things that make me feel brave, but I think that those factor into how I feel personally and how I'm able to provide. And so I feel like if I'm taking care of those things and, you know, being there for my kids and my wife, I feel like all those things allow me to not, because there's so many things like ornamentally that, that you might say, well, you're going to, you know, if I looked at my friends who graduated from Texas A&M in 2003 versus me, I mean, my life is not ornamented with success outwardly, you know, mm -hmm. that, that maybe some of my peers would have, you know? And so just being okay with that also makes me feel brave because that's not, that's not been the thing. And, and I'm not, I'm not like making a value judgment. It's just like coming to terms with like who I am and like what my journey is makes me feel brave and owning that specific thing that I want that makes me feel good and happy and allowing other people to have those things that make them feel good and happy mm -hmm. it, without competition or being, being comfortable another, with your own version of success is a, is yes. a powerful thing. And, and, and in being in line with like, cause my mom loved like little pithy sayings too, but like comparison is the thief of joy, 
right? So that's also something that I think about a lot. If you think about how much you get rejected as a writer, if you say, well, this person's published and I'm, you know, I'm not, then that's going to, that's going to destroy your joy for even just writing. So comparison's a thief of joy. So that makes, owning that sentiment does make me feel brave as well. So. And Lamott's chapter on jealousy in uh, Bird by Bird is just, uh, is just fantastic. Oh yeah. Um, I love that book. <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, Sarah was uh, looking online at these very accomplished artists the other day. And I told her and just like grinding her teeth, <laughs> told her she needed to reread that chapter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I saw she got her studio all in order, so she's ready to go. Oh, it's really cool. She's a lot of fun stuff happening around here. It's great. Last question. This is actually my favorite question. What book or books have had the most influence on your life? Well, um, hmm. I guess there's two. One, like from like a like an individual standpoint, like personally, um, I read a book by Sheldon Van Auken called A Severe Mercy, and he was like a contemporary of C.S. Lewis, and um, it was just talking. You know, he was like a like like a pagan, you know, like a you know he was like an English guy who didn't believe in anything, and he and his wife were on this similar journey, and then through like knowing C.S. Lewis, they kind of came around to like this understanding of their own faith and their place in the world. And then he, his wife ends up dying. And that's the whole point of the book is like this severe mercy. And so it was like, he just loved her so much. And when he lost her, I mean like that, it was so crippling to him, but so like, that was a good reminder. So I love that book, a severe mercy, uh, just very like impactful book. And I read that before I got married. And so that was another thing that's kind of enforced this idea that tomorrow's never promised and all this, these other kind of things. But then as a writer, Um, when I was in Iowa city, you know, my wife gave me, um, I think the very first time I ever read George Saunders was his collection, Pastoralia, which I think he published in like 2000 and he became one of my very favorite writers. And I started to try and emulate him. And I was writing, I'd gone from writing bad uh, ver- imitation versions of Cormac McCarthy to <laughs> writing bad, uh, you know, imitations of George Saunders, but those two books definitely had a huge impact, um, you nice. know, on me nice. for sure. Nice. We'll, we'll make sure and include uh, links to those in the show notes too. There's show notes? else, buddy. No, no. Uh, show notes. This was, <laughs> I was like, there's show notes. I'm not this on. This is a professional. This is a professional outfit, Blake. I, I don't yeah. know if I made um, that clear. I simply <laughs> am the talent. I just show up, <laughs> a couple of dick jokes. That's all I do. So, um, no, uh, but the, uh, it, it was awesome. Um, it's, this is, I just, I, I love that uh, Enix is bringing me on this journey and I, I feel like so blessed that I'm getting to, 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 to see and talk with all these just extraordinary people who are so different and yet so much the same. And the way that they're leading these beautiful lives as, as men that I want to emulate that I, I get off of every single one of these things and want to be CEO, uh, psychologist, and now a writer. And so it's, uh, it's probably terrible for my mental health, but it's, it's an awesome journey. It's awesome. A little so. schizoid, but it's okay. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah. I love this. Let's keep it up. Good. Yeah, Blake. Blake awesome yeah. having you, man. Well, you know, we're all faking it until we make it. We're all, we're all faking right. it until we make it, you know? Yeah, thanks so much. a cardboard cutout, actually. <laughs> <laughs> pay no attention to the man a, behind the curtain. A damn a good one. cut out with bad hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you you could have gotten a better picture for your cardboard cutout, buddy. Actually, I yeah. wanted to talk to you about your, you know, I was looking on your website earlier and I was looking at all of the professional writers pictures and all these great like kind of gloomy lit kind of like thoughtful poses and yours is just like you got this nice goofy grin on your face and you just look like a happy-go-lucky guy and I think you might could have sold that novel if you looked a little more pissed off or angsty in your picture I've thought the same thing and I told Danielle she screwed me when she took that photo (laughs) yeah wasn't the first time obviously but yeah may have been the last I should have been more pensive (laughs) that's the word hey thanks so much for your time blake we really enjoyed this cool yeah Yeah, you guys gave me a reason to change the oil in my hair even though that this is audio uh form you know absolutely yeah (laughs) all right have a good night blake thank you so much all right you guys thanks Thanks, brother nice to meet you nice to meet you all right bye guys Bye. well folks that's it for today's episode hope you enjoyed it hope you learned something god knows we always do Don't forget to subscribe so you can continue to follow along on this journey. And please join us. Let's get better together, or at the very least, 10% less shitty. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and now Clubhouse at True Brody Sattva. That's true, T-R-U. And don't forget to check in at our blog, thebrodysattva.com, to keep up to date on what's going on in our world. As always, this show is written by Enoch Daniel and Sosh Woodbine and produced by me. And special thanks to Scott Holmes, who wrote our theme music. Until next time, keep working, keep seeking, and keep living that Brody Sattva life. Bye now.